I know that lesson we heard this evening seemed rather abrupt. We read this brief lesson from Mark chapter 14, and we read it and we heard that they went out and prepared the Passover, and then evening came and Jesus arrived with the twelfth, and that was the end. That's because, as I said, we want to focus tonight that Jesus is that Passover lamb who then is betrayed and given away. It says it right at the beginning, right? Very clearly. The first day of the festival of unleavened bread, it was when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus asked his disciples, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? What is this thing, Passover? The Passover is this. This is the biblical story. If you look at non-biblical sources, I'll be honest, right? There's a lot of skepticism about the Passover story. Um, There's just not a lot of evidence that speaks to this. But the biblical story goes something like this. This is what the Passover was. Uh, Approximately 1,800 years before Jesus lived, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, as they were called at the time, went down to the land of Egypt. They went there because of a famine and they needed food. While they were there, they stayed for a, a couple hundred years and conditions, relationships with the local Egyptians increasingly grew worse. Uh, and, and after maybe 300 years or so of living there, the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people. They were then treated as slaves for perhaps as much as you know, 100 years. We, we don't exactly know how long, even according to the biblical narrative. Then the Lord intervened. He sent plagues. The last plague was the worst plague. It was a plague that brought death with it. God told the people of Israel the only way to escape this plague was to put blood over their doorposts, the blood of a lamb, and to sit down and eat a meal together. That was the beginning of the Passover meal. It sounds, seems like then for about 600, maybe, maybe 700 years, give or take, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, celebrated that Passover meal every year in their homes off and on. If you read through the Bible, it's, it's hard to tell when they did it and when they didn't do it, but, but we kind of assume they did do it. Then about the time of Hezekiah, so about 600 years before Jesus, They turned it into this festival where people would travel to Jerusalem, and then it turned into a big deal. It's hard to imagine what that would have meant. I don't know. I find it very difficult to know what it would have felt like. Can you imagine the sense of foreboding, the sense of darkness, maybe even fear that would have hung over those people as they They ate a meal. If you know death is coming, is the the thing you want to be doing eating dinner? That's what God had them do. And and it's, it's really hard for me, too, to imagine that they ate that meal then every year for eight, nine hundred years. That's a long time. That's a a really long time to have the same kind of 
of meal. I mean, I know some of you get together with your family every Sunday, every Friday, and eat together. Can you imagine doing that for 800 years? I love you, but man, enough? No. That's what they did. Imagine what that would have felt like to those people to sit and eat dinner while death passed over. I think of, I think of prisoners in a war camp. I wonder what it, it felt like, right? What it was like for the prisoners, say, in the, the, the German prison camps or the Japanese war camps. As the Allied armies came in, the soldiers brought with them freedom. I don't think, I don't think, though, that the, that the prisoners sat and ate a meal while the Allied armies went through the camp. I suspect they got out of the camp as fast as they could. Or, or I think, you know, I think about a, a, a spouse. Let's say a spouse in an abusive relationship. That spouse perhaps needs freedom. They, they're a captive. They're trapped in this abusive relationship. Perhaps it's physically abusive. Perhaps it's just verbally uh, abusive. A neighbor or a, a, a relative intervenes. They, they come in. I can't imagine a spouse sitting down and eating dinner while their, their partner who has abused them for years is, is led away. That would be just kind of weird to do. right? Or, or it would even be like you and, and me being enslaved to some of our bad, bad habits. Imagine you're a perpetual liar. You're trapped in the slavery of just lying. You lie about everything. You're constantly manipulating reality to, to your own whims. Then a therapist and your friends start calling you out for all of your lies all the time. How does that, that make you feel as all of their, their accusations just pour at you? Would you sit down and eat dinner while they accuse you? See, this is the oddity, isn't it, of the Lord's Supper of the Passover. God sent death to pass over the land. And he said, you don't get to run away. You don't get to hide. You just sit there and eat dinner while I do my thing. It was, it's just weird. I, I, maybe, maybe let's break it down and, and try to see if we can really get it. I, I wonder if it could be, let's make it really simple. I know, you guys, you guys are saying, this, is, this can't, doesn't look simple. Imagine I, I get a, a beautiful plant. I've got myself a beautiful plant. And I say, what a lovely plant this is. And I'm going to plant it. And so I plant it in the ground. But I don't realize that I've planted it among weeds. I've planted it in the middle of weeds. And the weeds 
in this case my palm branches, but the weeds, they, they envelop the plant. They're going to destroy the plant. And after a few months, I realized, oh my goodness, I messed up. I, I planted my, my beautiful lily plant in the middle of my weeds. What am I going to do to rescue my, my lily plant? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, of course, rip out my weeds. Rah! Oh, I rip them out. I rip out my weeds. I kill them. I'm chopping them down. I don't want to dump them over because that would make a mess and that I'd have to clean up tomorrow. But, oh, I'm chopping them down and I'm killing them. Kill all those weeds. But anybody who's ripped up weeds next to a beautiful plant knows what happens in the process. What happens to your beautiful plant when you rip up the weeds? Even if you try to be really careful, right? Some, some petals will, will fall off, right? You'll, you'll break up the plant a little bit. You'll expose the root. Maybe you'll even kill part of the root and, oh, the flower snaps off. But it happens, doesn't it? If you, if you try to root out the weeds, you're going to, to kill some of the plant. Isn't that what happened with Israel? See, that's, that's the, the point, I think. I think it helps as an illustration to see. God sent his angel of death to kill the weeds, to kill the destroying people who were suffocating his, his own people. He, he sent his destroying angel to, to liberate his people and to set them free. And that inevitably means there's going to be some damage. There's collateral damage. What happened when the, when the army, the allied army, came in to set the, the war camps free? Do you think that the, the, the powers, the, the camp guards, took one last pot shot at some of those prisoners? Yeah, you bet they did. Do you think that they found another prisoner that they could kick just one last time and beat up a little bit? Do you think that there was perhaps some friendly fire that, that beat up some of those prisoners in that war camp? You bet. Or, or, or what, about when, what about when the spouse... Right? When the neighbor comes to, to save the spouse from the abusive relationship, is there going to be some collateral damage? Does, does that spouse perhaps get hurt? And are they going to have to spend a, a lot of time in life going to therapy, going to counseling, having to work out all of those issues? You bet. And what about you and me when we get trapped or caught in our, our perpetual lies and our manipulating of reality? Is there going to be some collateral damage even to us? When somebody points out to us that, that we lie, are we going to have relationships that we have to repair and it's going to be a painful price? Are we going to have to rethink our whole life and the way we, we think about existence? You bet. There's going to be a price. And don't you see, that's, that's what happened on Monday, Thursday. That's what happened in the Passover. God said, I realize there's going to be a price that has to get paid, and it can either be you pay that price to restore yourself, or I will pay that price. 
And you notice how Mark really wanted to point out for us in this lesson, it said, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. If you read all the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, John, nobody else says it was the day to sacrifice the Passover lamb. That's because God was saying, Jesus, you're going to be the Passover lamb. I'm going to make you pay the price so that my people can be rescued, so that they can be delivered. I'm going to make you pay the the, the cost so that, yeah, maybe a few branches will break and maybe the, the flower will get a little bit beat up in the process, but there will be food for the plant so it lives. Friends, this is, this is the gospel of Monday, Thursday. God feeds you and me so that as he rips us out of bondage to sin, yeah, it hurts, but we come to life again. This is the gospel of this evening. You and I are sinners. We are trapped in such bondage to slavery that that we're drowning beneath the plants and we wouldn't even realize how entwined our roots are with sin, how covered over we've become. And our beautiful flowers, they're, they're not able to be clearly seen. And it would be a painful, awful process to rip us free. But God prepares food so we can live. God feeds the plant with life so that even as he sends his destroying angel to to liberate us from bondage, we can live and we won't die. So let's come and eat. Come and eat and we'll live. You know, in America right now, it's just not popular to sit down and eat family dinner. You probably know some of the stats better than I do because you are, are also part of the family life and you know how many people are, are eating family dinner. Back in, I felt, uh, the closest study I could find back in was 2014, the average American eats one in every five meals now in their car. One in four Americans eat at least eat one fast food meal every single day. The majority of American families report eating a single meal together less than five days a week. Less than five days a week, one meal. That's most Americans now. And they don't, we don't realize just how great eating a meal together can really be. Students who don't eat with their parents uh, are significantly more likely to miss school, like twice as likely to be skipping out on their education. Children who don't eat dinner with their parents at least twice a week are almost 50% more likely to, to be overweight and to have eating issues. And children who eat dinner with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble with drugs and alcohol, eat healthier, show better academic report, performance, and report better relationships with their parents and others. It makes a whole lot of difference in your life to just sit down and eat with your family. And if it makes that much difference for you and I to sit down and eat with our family, how much more difference does it make to sit down and eat with the Son of God? The God who became a lamb so that he could feed us with food while we're set free. I know how much suffering, how many problems you and I face in life as we try to beat sin. It hurts, right? It hurts a lot. 
You've got cancer that rips at you. You've got conflict in your relationships that tears you down. You get sick of fighting the evil in the world around us, and it rips and it hurts at us. This is food for the fight. This is food for the liberation, food that sets us free from bondage. So let's come and eat. Let's come and eat.